0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Country music legend Marty Stewart plays the Birchmere tomorrow night in Alexandria, Virginia. I spoke to Stewart when he previously played the Birchmere in October of 2020, his first tour since the start of the pandemic, as well as his memories of hits like Burn Me Down and his participation in Ken Burns' PBS docuseries Country Music.
1: Hi, Jason. Glad to be on your show. Glad to be here.
2: Um, man, it's been a wild year. A lot of venues are around the country and aren't even back open. We got a couple drive-ins and things like that. But the Birchmere is one of the few places you can still go see live music now. Um, where are you on your tour? When, like, how's this year been for you? Like, when did you get back out back out on the road?
1: Well, we're really not back out on the road, Me and The band uh, we got sent home from uh, the the tour we were on uh, back in March. It just kind of started falling apart and crumbling, you know as everybody else has did. So the buzz hasn't cranked since March, and so the coming to the Birchmere will be the first time I've actually done a concert. will not be with the superlatives. It will just be a solo show, which it's going to be honest, I'll give you that. Uh, but it's it's going to be wonderful to get out of town and play my guitar again. So I'm looking forward to coming back to the Birchmere.
2: Sure. Any uh, any teaser of I don't want to spoil the set list, but you know, can you give us a little teaser?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Man, I can tell you that from the bottom of my heart. We'll know more about it on Sunday morning after Friday and Saturday night because I'm going to make it up as I go, and (laughs) that's what I mean. It will be honest.
2: (laughs) I love it. Now, the, the Birchmere, they've had a ton of legends move through there over the years. Who were, who? you know, when you were growing up, you know, born in Mississippi in 58, who were your idols growing up when you were learning to, to play or first, you know, expose the country?
1: Well, the first, you know, the Beatles were like, you know, just burning the world up at that time when I was first kind of tuning into music. But there was something about country music that I loved. And the truth of the matter is uh, the first two records I ever owned in my life was a Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs record and a Johnny Cash record. And the only two jobs that I ever had in my life for any length of time was with Lester Flatt and Johnny Cash. So those two guys, along with Bill Monroe and you know probably Merle Haggard, uh, those were, were those were the people that really spoke to me as a as a kid and as a young musician. And as I grew up in life, they became my friends.
2: Not many people are lucky enough to say that, you know. <laughs> I know, um, it, man. You meet, yeah, not only meet your childhood idols, but get to play with them and work alongside them. Well, you sort of alluded to my next question, which is, you know, you got sort of got your start in the business touring with Lester Flatt and then, you know, soon after Johnny Cash. What lessons did you learn from them? Were you just a sponge soaking up every second you were around them? Well, I was a sponge. I mean,
1: I, I hung on every word. And they were neither of those guys were like the kind of people that sit you down and go, now, here's how you need to do this. I learned by observing and just seeing how they lived their lives and how they conducted business. But you mentioned the Burt's Mirror, you know, just kind of being one of the only venues out there doing it. The Burt's tree, I mean, the Burt's Mirror kind of has um, an oak tree kind of presence as far as venues out there. It's just it's seen a lot of hard times. It's seen the best of times and tough times. Same with Lester Flat and Johnny Cash. They were all kind of Kind of guys that they were always there. You know, they may not have a hit record this season, but it never really kind of mattered. Uh, they were just always a, a kind of a standard presence. And Lester taught me about longevity. He, uh, his inspiration to me was not to come to Nashville and try to take it all down in two years' time and then be forgotten. It was about he, his words were to be welcome every January the first life lesson and johnny cash the thing i picked up off of jr i called him jr more than anything was he was fearless when it came to creativity he was absolutely fearless if he believed in a song or a concept or a tour or whatever whatever he was doing and nobody else believed it never deterred it he just went right ahead and took care of it and did it and paid the price if it didn't work and enjoyed it if it did so being fearless you know if you're a creative individual, that is a mighty uh thing to have in your pocket and so that I learned from John,
2: wow, see so you learning the fearlessness from him and the longevity from Lester Flat. I like what you said about are you gonna be welcome the next january thirty first just keep it keep it rolling I love it that's so right you're you're you know you're sort of backing them and soaking up their you know lessons and their their sage wisdom, and you finally. You finally break out on your own with your self-titled debut album in 85. How did that? How did you actually sign with, with Columbia? How did that deal, first initial record deal, actually come about? There was a song, uh, you know, Johnny Cash hadn't
1: had a hit in a long time. And uh, he did a, a television special, a Christmas special, a Johnny Cash Christmas special for the CBS Television Network uh, called uh, Johnny Cash, uh, in Montreux, I think it was called, Christmas in Montreux, or something like that. And the guests on the show was uh, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, and uh, Chris Christopherson. And after the show was finished filming, we'd go back to the hotel, and everybody would wind up in a hotel room passing the guitar around. And it was magical. And uh, at that time, Willie Willie and John didn't know each other very very well. They had, you know, lightly lightly casual friends, but their record producer, Chip's Moman was there. He said, when we get back to Nashville, we need to do a Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash record. Everybody, well, oh, yeah, wonderful. So when we got back to town, we started uh, the Johnny Cash-Willie Nelson record, and it really did not work. Their voices were so unique, and, but they, were, they just really didn't blend as two voices. So we cut songs for a couple of days, didn't amount to much, but I remembered how magical it was uh, when the four of those guys would laugh and sing and pass the guitar around. So I called up my cousin, Marty Gamblin, who ran Alan G- or Glenn Campbell's publishing company at that time. And Glenn Campbell had published a song, or recorded a song, actually, uh, written by Jimmy Webb called The Highwayman." And I went over there and listened to it. I was kind of aware of the song. I've been told about it. And there were four songs, uh, four four verses, no harmony required. And so I took that song to the studio and presented it, and they recorded the Highwaymen. But the Columbia music executives knew all about that. And so on the strength of that, I think they said, what do you got in mind? You want to make a record? I went, sure. So I kind of stumbled into it that way. That's a long-winded answer, but that's how I got my first record deal.
2: you kidding me? I'm soaking it all up like you were with Lester Flat <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
2: No such thing as long-winded. Um, okay, so then and then I know you jump over to MCA in in '89 for your second album, Hillbilly Rock, and I think that's when you really really started blowing up. At least at least my childhood, I remember <laughs> hearing that album. And then the third, Touch Me, Turn Me On, Burn Me Down in '91. Like that, that is like some of the music of my childhood. What are your memories of of the jump to MCA, and uh, you know how, how you think your sound had progressed from from that early debut to to that early '90s period? you were really taken off
1: never it just never really clicked at Columbia I think it was probably my fault because I was you know trying for a direction that probably the world wasn't ready for at that time and I probably wasn't ready for but I've you know lost my record deal cooled off regrouped and came back and it really became important to me to have a whole bunch of hits Hit, hit 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 that's all I cared about and we hit a groove at uh MCA me and the team and Hillbilly Rock, and all those songs started coming. And I liked it. It gave me a excuse to get a bus and a band and some cowboy clothes and go up and down the road and play music that I loved and believed in. So that was a, it was a cool time in life. It really was.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. And then, of course, I'd be remiss. Uh, we can't go through all your hits, obviously, but I have to mention your Grammy-winning Travis Tripp duet, The Whiskey Ain't Working. Why do you think that was so magic between the two of you guys? I don't know.
1: I wrote the song... Uh, with my buddy Ronnie Scaife and we thought it would be a good song for Hank Williams Jr. and I was to, I was working on a record at that time called Tempted and the album was finished and we wrote the song too late to go on the Tempted album. I thought it was a hit but I thought let's put this on Bo Cephas' table. So we sent it to Hank Jr. He didn't particularly hear the song as a hit so I was going to uh, a Burger King drive through in Alabama one day on the road and I heard this voice come on my radio, and it was singing a song called, I'm a member of the country club, I went, whoever that is singing, that's a good place for that whiskey song. And so I sent it to uh, Travis Tritt's record producer, he liked it, and he recorded it, and they invited me to come over and play on it and sing on it. And what I did, didn't think nothing else about it, and the song snuck up on us and it became a hit. And when Travis and I met, it was like, man, we were raised—we could have been raised three doors down from each other. I loved him; he's my
2: brother, and that's how it is. Oh yeah, the country club's such a great song too, but whiskey ain't working as a jam, man. Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there was, to, sort of, to your point about flat's lesson of longevity. You know, you continued to. You've won Grammys in like multiple decades, you know. Same old train, foggy mountain breakdown, hummingbird. Like you keep winning them. I feel like every every few years you turn into the Grammys and Marty Stewart's picking up another one. But what you know? How satisfying is it to you know after Lester Platt's advice that you have been, can actually look back on your career and that sort of came true. You've been continually honored over the decades.
1: Well, it's 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 a. I don't know. I can't explain it other than I get up and go to work every day. But I know <laughs> the mission in at hand now is not so much about, you know, racking up one more this or racking up one more accolade here or there, but it's about passing it on. It's about looking around and when I see young songwriters or I see young artists. Me and my wife Connie, we both are very tuned into how much young artists need encouragement. They need, you know, guidance if if asked. Uh Anything we could do to help young artists to pass it along and especially when it comes to uh traditional country music, it's a it's a great thing to be able to hand it to somebody else because we have to keep this thing
2: going. I,
1: I love that.
2: Yeah, yeah, but speaking of that, you know, before we run, you know, just sort of in closing, I have to compliment you on the Ken Burns documentary.
1: Well, thank you.
2: That was just an amazing piece of work.
1: Well, it's a life work. It was a labor of love for me. Uh we worked on that show for like eight years. But I love Ken Burns' work. He and his team are just the best of the best of the best. And once they're finished with the subject, it is done, and it is a part of American curriculum from then on. And he specializes in um, bringing to our attention, I say ours American people, uh, stories and subject matter that we may not know or think too much about, but by the time he's through telling us about it, we understand how important it is us and each other and as, as, as just our culture. And so I knew that when he was through with country music, country music would have a whole lot more people that knew about it, was interested in it, and fallen in love with it. So it was a win-win for everybody.
2: Now, do you have, speaking of that documentary, do you have something that you, either that your favorite sort of trivia that either you shared on there or something that you learned from watching it that you had no idea before?
1: <laughs> i tell you what I learned on that show. Uh, my wife, Connie Smith, who came to my hometown to sing when I was a kid. She sang at, a, at, a, at the Choctaw Indian Fair in Philadelphia, Mississippi. And for years and years and years, I have told the story that on the way home from seeing her that night, I told my mother I was going to marry her. And I've told that I was 12 years old. So when we were fact-checking the Ken Burns show, they said, an 11-year-old, you know, Marty Stewart went to see I said, I said, guys, hold on, I think you're wrong. I think I was 12. They said, no, you were 11. And I had been telling it long, wrong all these years. They did the math, and they proved me wrong. <laughs> that was one of the biggies that I learned on that show.
2: Well, I'm glad that they got it corrected for the record, for the curriculum, as you said. Me so. too. Awesome. Well, hey, we'll let you run. I know you're a busy, man. But thanks for you know stopping in and spending a little time with us. And we look forward to you at the Birchmere.
1: Jason, thanks for letting me be on your show. Have a great day. Stay safe. All right. Thanks. Adios.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.